0: Well, what's your favorite holiday? What's your favorite holiday? I've heard Christmas. I've heard Thanksgiving. Okay, Fourth of July. All right. Anyone have anything different than those three that we've mentioned? Halloween. Okay. Yeah. What? Your birthday. Good holiday. Well, my favorite holiday has to be Thanksgiving. I mean, it's just hard to beat Thanksgiving, in my opinion. You don't have the burden of gifts that you have at Christmas. There's no pressure. You just get to gather together for good food, good fellowship, uh, hopefully good fellowship. Uh, Being with family is also football, right? (laughs) It's time together. Uh, The important part is it's a time of fellowship. But there are problems. As much as I love Thanksgiving, it has some problems. Number one, it's a whole lot of buildup. For a very short meal, uh, at least you know. I remember one Thanksgiving I said, "Whoa, this is the fastest I've ever eaten," and my relatives were a little offended. Like, "Boy, he's done now, and all that work." But in my family, my cousins and I would we'd weigh ourselves before the meal and then after the meal because we wanted to see how we did. And and one year, and this is another problem with Thanksgiving. One year I ate everybody by far. And I'm still amazed that I did this, but I ate seven pounds of food and drink. And, and then we decided to go play football in the yard. And there was a halftime show, uh, and I was four pounds lighter after the halftime show. Um, and it was at that point that I said, yes, gluttony is a sin. And I've experienced why. I've experienced why. So that's a, that's a problem, eating too much Um, it's over too quickly. Another problem with Thanksgiving is after it's over, you have to wait a whole other year for it to come again, like all holidays. But there's just something special about being together. If you're like my family, we sit around, you know, the big table, and everybody has a seat at the table. Everybody has a place at the table. You know, as we get into our Bibles today, I want to go to the book of Revelation because in Revelation, it talks about a similar event except much, much better. A place where everybody who wants one has a seat at God's table. We're going to Revelation chapter 19. We're going to start our study in Revelation and we're going to end it in Revelation, but we're going to be a lot of places in between. So I hope you don't get paper cuts because we are going to be turning through our Bibles. Revelation chapter 19 Starting in verse 7. Revelation 19, verse 7. This is this chorus of rejoicing and shouting. It says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding of the what? The lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear Fine linen, the Bible says, stands for the righteous acts of the saints. And then verse 9. The angel said to me, Write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. So right here, before this climax of the book, right here we see there's an invitation to a special dinner. A special feast, as it were, sitting around in our imagination, a great table, and it's called the Wedding Supper of the Lamb. This isn't the first time, of course, that wedding imagery is used to represent the, the second coming of Jesus. You're familiar in Matthew 25, the, par- the parable of the wise and the foolish young ladies. Five are ready, five weren't. But when the bridegroom came, that's when the destiny of all had been decided. Then later in Revelation 21, the heavenly city, the New Jerusalem, is called like a bride prepared for her husband. This bride, this marriage imagery, is used to portray the second coming of Jesus and that time when everybody who's saved will gather together. And the Bible describes it like a marriage supper. And I've been to a lot of weddings and receptions, and the food is generally really good. So you better know the food here will be really, really good. But the question here is, who's invited to the supper? Who gets to go? Who's a part of that day? And if you look in verse 8, it describes the bride and what's the bride wearing? Fine linen, bright and clean, much like a bridal gown, right? We find this imagery earlier on in the book of Revelation to describe none other than the 144,000. And I want to go there real quick to Revelation chapter 7 to examine this group of people. This group of people who will be saved and who get to participate in this great feast. Revelation chapter 7 and verse 1. After this, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel coming from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out with a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we have put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. And then I heard... The number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from the tribes of Israel. And then we read this description, 12,000 from this tribe, 12,000 from that tribe, and it goes down through 12 different tribes. And then we get to verse 9, and it says there, And then I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, language, standing before the throne in front of the Lamb. And they were wearing what? white robes like that fine linen we saw of the bride in Revelation 19. And they were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So here we have this snapshot of this group of people, the 144,000. We've, we've heard this number, we've heard this talked about and we're going to talk more about it in our evangelistic series, our prophecy seminar coming up here in a little over a month. But I want to just ask the question briefly this morning, who is this group? Because it sounds like they're the ones who get to go to this banquet, or at least they get to be part of the group at the banquet. Who are they? You know, when I grew up, uh, I was told that this was a, a super special group of saints. You know, there's the saved, and then there's the super saved. Super saved. And that's this group. And boy, you got to work really hard. you got to have an extra clean record to be a part of the super saved at the time of the Lord's return. You know, we won't go there, but if you turn to Revelation 14, you'll see more descriptions uh, about this group. And if we just take it as a literal number, there's only 144,000, as some denominations do, at least one that I know of and some within our church. If you just take it as a literal number, they all have to be celibate men because it says they haven't been defiled with virgins, right? So if you're married, I'm sorry, you're out, right? Uh, It says that they they have spotless records. So if you've sinned once in your life, you're out. Um, If we're understanding it in a purely literal manner, it also says they follow a lamb around. So you got a picture in your mind, celibate men who've never made any mistakes following a literal lamb around in heaven. And I don't say this to make fun of, of this viewpoint, but I'm just saying if we're going to take it literally, we need to take it all literally. But you know, as the Bible describes 144,000 in, in Revelation 7, it doesn't say that they've lived perfect lives, but it says that they have a perfect redeemer. Because look at, look at what it says there. It says there in verse, sorry, I lost my place there for a second. Okay, yeah, look down at verse 13 and 14. Got to turn the page. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they and where do they come from? Sir, you know, I answered. He said, these are they who've come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white by the what? By the blood of the lamb. So these people aren't people who've lived perfect lives, but they have a perfect savior. They're there because the lamb that they follow has washed them and cleansed their filthy robes by his own blood. They're already giving us a clue that we shouldn't understand this as a a number to limit those who will be saved or depicting God's super saints at the end. But this is a group of people who've been saved by our super savior. Amen? You know, there's a principle in the Bible uh, and we see this in Revelation where John first hears things and then he sees something that's different from what he heard. First he hears it And then he sees it in Revelation 5.5. John hears that the lion of the tribe of Judah has has been able to open up the scroll. And then he looks, and what does he see? He doesn't see a lion in Revelation 5.6. He sees a lamb. First he hears something, and then he sees something different. Revelation seventeen one. John hears that there's that prostitute who's sitting upon many waters. And then he looks, and in verse 3, he sees that the lady, Babylon, is not sitting upon water. She's sitting upon a beast, a scarlet beast. Revelation 21, verse 9, John hears that the holy city, it says, Come here, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb, so you'd expect to see the lady. But instead, John looks, and what he sees is the heavenly city, the new Jerusalem descending. He hears something, and then he sees something different, but they're talking about The same thing. So then we go to Revelation 7. We could look at more examples. But in Revelation 7, we see in verse 4, God, or or John, hears the number. By the way, that's not all the tribes. Two tribes are left out. Uh, The tribes don't even exist today anymore. He hears a number, 144,000. And then the next thing we know, after he hears the number, what does he do? In verse 9, he looks. He sees. And what does he see? What he sees gives me and you a lot of hope. Because instead of seeing a limited number, look at what he sees. A great multitude. And by the way, what's the ethnic breakdown of this great multitude? Surely it's all from America, right? No. Praise God. It says they come from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. These are the people who've gone through the tribulation. The Lord sustained them. He washed their robes and now they are ready to be saved forever in God's kingdom. Ready to join those who've died, and been raised back to life. The 144,000, in my view, uh, are all God saved at the second coming of Jesus. And they're from every ethnic background, every culture, every group. Maybe as John was looking in vision, he saw your face. He looks out at the crowd. He can't number it, but maybe he looks out and he sees you. Saved. There, ready to be fully redeemed. Taken to heaven with Jesus. What this teaches us, those who go to that heavenly banquet, it's going to be a really big number. There's a seat at the table for everybody. doesn't matter what your background is, your ethnicity, what language you speak. If you've accepted the lamb, you get to sit around that table and it's a big table. There's room at God's table for you. Amen? It's not only here in Revelation that we see this invitation to a table with God. Go to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 8. I love the imagery of eating, sitting around with other people. Matthew chapter 8. We see there in verse 10. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him. This is when he saw the faith of the centurion, who was not part of the special um, line of descendants of Abraham. When he saw this, he said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the where? The east and the west. And they will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. He said, man, i got to go outside of Israel to find faith. But you know what? In the the kingdom of heaven, when we sit down at the feast, they're going to come from the east and they're going to come from the west. Go to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 13, because Jesus says something similar, uh, talking about this great feast at the last day. Luke chapter 13. I told you we were going to be jumping around in our Bibles this morning. Luke 13, verse 29. The Bible says, People will come from the east, from the west, from the north, and from the south, and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there, those who are last will be first, and those who are first will be last. It doesn't matter what direction you come from, if you've accepted the Lamb, there's a place at God's table for you. Your skin color may be different from mine. The way you choose to worship God culturally may be different from mine, but if you've accepted the lamb, there's a seat at the table for you. Your reservation is booked and guaranteed because of what Jesus has done for us. You know, it's not just a New Testament concept. I love how the Bible you know, we see it not only in the New Testament, we see these type of things in the Old Testament. Go back to the book of Psalms real quick. We're going to look at Psalm 107. Not just a New Testament concept that God welcomes all people to his table. It's also something we see in the Old Testament. Psalm 107, verse 3. Let's start in verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say this, that he redeemed from the land of the foe those he gathered from the lands. Where is he gathering the redeemed? He's gathering them from the east, from the west, from the north, and from the south. I wonder if Jesus had verses like these in mind. Perhaps. Perhaps. Or maybe he went all the way back to Genesis chapter 28, where we're going right now. Genesis 28 even all the way back to the great ancestors of our faith, God made it clear that he wanted to save everybody. No matter what part of the world you come from, God wants the family to be diverse, to be international. God wants everyone to have a seat at the table. Genesis chapter 28, verse 14. Speaking now to Jacob, he says, Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. All peoples on the earth will be blessed through you and through your offspring. It was God's intent that Jacob and his family not just stay in one spot. He wanted them to spread out because in so doing, he can reach the people that live in the north, the people that live in the south, the people that live in the east, and the people that live in the west. All peoples of the earth will be blessed through you you. Similar promise that he made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. So God was telling the people, I want everybody to have a seat at my table. Everybody has to know I want everyone to be blessed through your line. And we see David was familiar with this also, uh, as we saw in Psalms, but let's go to 1 Chronicles chapter 16. 1 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 24. David has just brought the Ark of the Testimony, the Ark of the Covenant. He's brought it from its place to the city of David. And it's resting there in a tent. Eventually his son Solomon will be able to put a temple there. But notice what David says. He, he has the people sing a song of praise and thanks. We see there in 1 Chronicles 16, verse 8. Give thanks to the Lord, call on his name, make known among the nations what he has done. Tell the world how good our God is. And then jump down to verse 24. Verse 24, it says, Declare his glory among the who? The nations and his marvelous deeds among the peoples. God didn't want the goodness of him to be known only to the people of Israel. God wanted everybody to know. Now sometimes we're a little confused because we see passages in the Old Testament and it says, don't marry a foreigner. Or God speaks harshly about this tri- you know, this people group and that people group. We see judgment falling upon them. And so sometimes we think, oh, God didn't like the other nations and then... Praise God, Jesus came, and now the gospel can go to the world. But it's really not an accurate understanding of this, because we see clearly God telling Jacob and Abraham, I want everybody to be be blessed through you. David is writing down songs, and he's saying, tell everybody about God. Tell everybody how good God is. Whether they live in the north, the south, the east, or the west, they all need to know. So how do we understand these two things? You know, in simple, uh, without getting too complicated, it's hard to reach the people if you adopt the customs of the people. So God wanted his people to, to stay faithful to him, but still be witnessing to them. It's like in the New Testament, it says, be in the world, but not of the world. We have to live here in this world, and we're called to reach out to people, but we're not called to adopt the sinful practices of people while we're trying to reach them. So God at times had to say, be careful, don't intermarry because that's going to cause problems. But still be a blessing. Still tell people. You don't have to marry someone to tell them how good your God is. Amen? Amen. Missionary dating, sometimes we do that. Doesn't work super, super well. Real quick, we got to go to Isaiah. we got to see this in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 49. Our God was just as concerned about reaching the world in the Old Testament as he is in the New Testament and beyond. God has always wanted to reach all peoples in all times. At times he uses different methods, but he's still trying to accomplish the same purpose. Isaiah 49, verse 6. He says, Is it too small of a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and to bring back those in Israel I have kept? I will also make you to be a what? A light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Here it is, Old Testament command. I'm telling you, you're going to be a light to the Gentiles. And very interesting, if you go to verse 12, look at what it says there in verse 12. See, some will come from afar, some from the north, some from the west, some from the regions, in my Bible it says, of Aswan. Other Bibles say Sinim. Uh, and there's not consensus on this, but there are a lot of people and a lot of scholars who say Sinem is talking about China and that region. Uh, there's debate, so I'm not going to say for sure one way or the other. But God had a heart to reach people. No matter where they lived, He wanted to reach them. Go to Isaiah 56 real quick Isaiah 56. He didn't want people to feel excluded. He didn't want people to feel like they didn't have a seat at the table. No exclusion. Look at Isaiah 56, verse 3. Let no foreigner, a person who doesn't belong to the the 12 tribes, let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. Don't think that just because you're not an Israelite that you're excluded. If you've given your heart to God, you're a part of the family. And let not any eunuch complain. I'm only a dry tree. Even if you can't have kids because you're a eunuch. Don't give up. For this is what the Lord says to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, those who choose what please me and hold fast to my covenant. To them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off and the foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord to serve him, to love the name of the Lord, and to worship him, all who keep the Sabbath without desecrating it and hold fast to my covenant, these, God says, I will bring to my holy mountain, and I will give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house, you ready for it? My house will be called a house of prayer for only a select few. Oh, is that what it says? my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations in the Old Testament God is saying I want all nations to come here and bow down and worship and pray to me in other words there's room at the table for everybody is there room in your heart for everyone for a nation that is so divided at times for for all this racial tension, for all this political tension, there's room in God's heart. Is there room in your heart? It's such a blessing to have a church full of diversity. Amen? Amen. Living out what we will see someday in the kingdom. God's house is a house for everyone. God's table, that banquet, the marriage supper of the Lamb is a supper. For everybody, if they've accepted the Lamb, they have a seat. But how are they going to come to the table if they don't know there's a table? How are they going to hear, Paul asks in Romans chapter 10, if people don't tell them, if people don't preach the word? We've been given a mission. Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of how many nations? All the nations. It's an international family that God wants. the the early church in Acts, he said, start preaching the word right here in Jerusalem. And then go to Judea and Samaria. And then, he says in Acts 1, to all the world. And of course, we as Adventists know Revelation 14, that first angel's message, saying with a loud voice, Uh, but just before that, the message is to go to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. There's room at the table for everyone. I said we'd begin and start our message in Revelation, so let's go back as we prepare to end. Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21. No matter where you come from, no matter what your culture is, if you've accepted the Lamb, there's a seat at the table for you. Revelation 21 Verse 9. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a mountain, great and high, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And it shone with the glory of God. Its very brilliance was that of precious jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with how many gates? Twelve gates. And it had twelve angels at the gates. And on the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three on the west. As we look at this heavenly city, how many gates does it have? Twelve gates. You know, if you don't want people in, you wouldn't build a lot of gates, right? If you wanted to defend yourself really well and keep people out, you'd have fewer gates. Even the architecture of the city says God wants as many people in it as possible. And not just people from one direction. There are three gates, which, by the way, the gates are made of pearls, the Bible says a little bit later in the chapter. Must have been a big oyster that made those. (laughs) Heaven's going to be mind-blowing. There are three gates. If you come from the east, God says, enter the city. If you're coming from the west, come on in. From the north, this is your place. And from the south, God says, you have a place in my city. You have a seat at my table. One of the last verses, not the very last, but one of the last, verse 17. Revelation 22. The spirit and the bride say, come. Come on to this feast. Come into this mansion prepared for you. Come to this heavenly city. Spirit and the Bride, say, come, and let him who hears say what? Come. Whoever is thirsty, let them come, and whoever wishes, let them take the free gift of the water of life. If you've heard the message to come to the table of God, your responsibility and your privilege is to turn to somebody else and say come. Tell them about the table. Tell them that it doesn't matter what their culture, their background is. God welcomes all these cultures, all these backgrounds. By the way, we're going to need to learn a new language in heaven. I've heard it said that Spanish is the language of heaven. And, and maybe it is, Clary. I like Spanish. It's, it's the one other language I, I know a little bit of. Um, but I think we're going to have to all learn a new language. We're going to have to get to to know a new culture—the culture of heaven—and we're going to see Jesus, and we're going to say, "Wow, he doesn't look anything like any of the pictures, (laughs) most of the pictures I've seen." Uh, But we'll say, "You look uh, exactly—you will recognize him for who he is." But as we close this this morning, there's a table. If you've accepted Jesus, there's a seat for you. But picture that table in your mind. Who do you want to see at that table? And if there are people who are missing at that table, will you be sad? Who do you want to see there? I want to see my friends there. I want to see my family at that table. I want to see myself there. I want to see all of you there. I want to see even the people that I don't like at that table. Changed by the Holy Spirit, and me changed too. I want to see my neighbors there. How will they be there unless the Holy Spirit, through you and through me, invites them? Let's be the warm embrace, the welcoming handshake, the welcoming person to invite people to God's table where there's room for everybody. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for this reminder this morning that we all are precious in your sight. Thank you that we're all saved by your blood and the ground is level at your cross. May we be agents of hope and peace and unity to our world, our families, our communities, welcoming them to be partakers in that heavenly banquet someday soon. This is our prayer. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.